Hi, friends and strangers. Welcome to the fourth episode of the She Got Game podcast, hosted by me, Megan Ann Wilson, where we dive into the intersection of sports, style, sneakers, and sustainability. So this week is going to be a little bit different from the past episodes. We're skipping the interview to go deep about three stories that really caught my eye this week and also it's been Thanksgiving here in Canada so it's been a little more hectic and a little more also relaxation focus so let's dive in so this week we're going to look at three stories now the reason I picked these three stories because they all elicited a different response that reflects back to the intersection of this podcast so we're going to be talking about a new material called Milo and the unleather program they're developing we're also going to look at Adidas's new strung manufacturing concept that's part of their future craft system and then finally we're really going to get into a collaboration that I take as a personal front I think sums up where we are in fashion right now with too many collaborations and not enough real intentional design and of course I'm referring to the Louis Vuitton NBA collection designed by Virgil Abloh whose first look was given to Women's Wear Daily after LeBron and the Lakers won the championship. I have way too much to say. Originally I was just going to do this as a written newsletter this week but I have too many opinions and I just need to get them out guys and of course I won't forget about the recommendations so let's get into it. The story I'm most excited about from this past week has to do with material development. And believe it or not, it comes from mushrooms. So both threads announced that they're creating something called Milo Unleather. And Milo is created from mycelium. And what mycelium is, is if you've ever dug in the dirt and you see all these little white fibers and maybe you see mushrooms growing out from them, that's mycelium. Think of it almost like the World Wide Web for biodiversity. It connects plants and trees. You see it in riverbeds and it helps bring nutrients to all over the environment. So it's an incredibly important resource and it looks kind of like threads if you look at it. So Bolt Threads has found a way to take this concept of mycelium bring in that fungus in a lab and grow it in sheets and then they're able to take the sheets process them tan them and turn it into a leather-like substance. Now this is something that is super exciting Because in the past, a lot of faux leather alternatives come from polyurethane, they come from oil. So technically, they wouldn't be officially called a bio-based material because they're really chemically altered. You know, it's not something that's grown and then tanned, something that they had to chemically make. And often when you're buying a faux leather and sometimes even a vegan leather, you're buying a product that's never going to biodegrade because it is made from oil. So you might wear it, you might be like, hey, I want to get these pants and they're only 20 bucks but you might notice they rip they don't wear as well as leather but when you throw it out they're going to be in the landfill longer than you're going to be alive it's not the best material if you actually want to be really truly eco-friendly although I understand why vegans or people that are really about animal rights might be more drawn to faux and vegan leather it's not a sustainable option when you think about it so something like Milo can really change the game because They're able to make it in a way that is using vertical farming instead of, you know, having mass amounts of fields. You don't need as much water as you would with cotton. You obviously don't need to slaughter animals like you would when you're making um, a bovine-based leather. So this is something that's really exciting. It makes me wonder if we're going to start seeing other tanneries or other leather companies start to change how or maybe retrofit their system so they can now make something like Milo. Unfortunately, Milo isn't 100% on the market yet. We have seen some 
some brands experiment with using it as part of a material base. And in the past, when these kind of like bio-based materials, they were often using a PU coating or mist with different plastic or oil materials. But Milo is 100% certified bio-based and biodegradable and the company that's making it, Bold Threads, they're working with a tannery that has generations of experience to really create something that feels like, you know, a traditional leather. So what else is really exciting about the Milo announcement is that they've started a consortium. So a group of design houses have come together to help shoulder and the burden of development costs because obviously it takes a while to do this kind of material development. It's not something that, you know, oh, hey, let's just grab some mushrooms and turn it into a fabric. You know, it doesn't work that way. So it takes a ton of money and time and development to really create it. So within the consortium, you actually have some really big mega brands. So you have Adidas, which have a reputation, you know, of trying to push sustainability as part of one of their core beliefs with the Parley system and some of the Futurecraft programs they've done. You also have Lululemon, which obviously in the past have used a lot of poly and poly blend materials in their leggings and are obviously using more recycled materials, but it's exciting to see them also be a part of that process, especially given that they're also going into footwear. There's also Stella McCartney, who's really well known as being a vegan designer. You know, that's one of her core beliefs from her brand. So it makes sense that she's part of it. With Stella, I think it's great that she really holds true to her core beliefs of being a vegan designer but in the past she's used so much faux leather and PU and a lot of materials that are derived from plastic and oil so I think it would be great to see her switch it all over to bio-based materials like this one. The other big player which I think can't be overstated is Keering. Now Keering is one of these giant you know fashion conglomerate houses. Their biggest rival would be LVMH. They have brands under their umbrella like Balenciaga, Alexander McQueen so it'll be really cool to see these other giant fashion houses adopting this I guess you can call it a different form of leather I think that's why they're calling it unleather because to really use the leather title it has to be bovine but I think it's going to be really interesting to see how these brands adapt now we're going to start seeing Milo leather as you know a predominant material because we have seen it a, a little bits of it in bags and things like that recently but we're going to start seeing it more in 2021 so it's first going to come out in accessories like bags I wouldn't be surprised if you see them in like hard wallet things that are smaller even though they're tanning these big sheets they are pieces that don't don't have maybe as many components or and they can also test it obviously with footwear they have to be much more durable but I think it could be really exciting to see Milo on a shoe and having an alternative to another recycled plastic or having something other than castor beans which is the really big one right now or so it'll be interesting to see what kind of components it ends up in shoes and how quickly we see it on the market I wouldn't be surprised if it's more like 2022 or 2023 but hopefully they start working in in a ways even if it's just like a tongue on a shoe or just a few pieces on the upper. But I think it's really exciting to see brands coming together and really working towards, you know, a common goal because also come up with a proprietary way of developing them. And it's something that small brands like mine or emerging brands or startups often can't afford. You know, we don't really have the capital and the clout to go in and make these products. It, it does cost money. So seeing other brands being willing to develop and now that you can get on the Milo email list to see when it's coming out, I've definitely already signed up. But it's just so exciting to see more alternatives. Personally, I don't think I will ever 100% move away from buying and occasionally using real leather if it's sourced responsibly because it's really hard to be bovine leather when it comes to how it wears and how it holds up if it's if it's done well. I also recently found out that my great-grandfather had a tannery and my great-uncle worked in it and they actually made shoes and they made parts for shoes. So it's it's really exciting for me to think, okay, even though I went into footwear without realizing I had 
prior family history in it, I can be kind of the next generation to help push things forward, you know, and, and find new alternatives. But I think having alternatives that aren't plastic-based, that are all bio-based, is definitely an exciting way to move forward. And I really hope not only I get to work with it, <laughs> but I hope we start seeing it on the market, not just from those major brands, but also on smaller brands and, and, and seeing that accessibility. Because a lot of these vegan alternatives that are actually plant-based are quite expensive. Things like peanut text, which are made from pineapple, are really cool, but they're not really available to smaller brands who can't buy in giant mass quantities. And it, there still are emerging technologies. So it's not something that you're going to see walking to mood in New York. And you're not going to see that with Milo either, but it's great to have more alternatives. So I'm really excited about it. I've just been talking about it nonstop. I'm really grateful. My friend Catalina told me about it and we've been nerding out together about it. So it's just, it's exciting to see kind of the future of footwear and the future of fashion is coming and it's coming from fungus. Who knew? So the next development that has me interested, but maybe not as excited as the Milo Unleather product is Adidas's new Strung System, which is being released under their Future Graph category, which is kind of like their incubator for all the cool, innovative new stuff they're doing, which often marries technology and sustainability and changes to their manufacturing system to make it more efficient. So what's interesting about the Strung System is is actually for the upper of the shoe. So in the past, in their Future Graph system, Adidas focused on the outsole, so the piece of the shoe that you know you run around on. So previously they had the 4D outsole, which we saw in Future Craft. We've seen it in some other collections like the Daniel Ashram collaboration. And that sole was unique and it was developed with Carbon who do uh, 3D, 4D printing. But what was interesting is that it could be specifically tuned. So that means, you know, if you're a runner that has a problem with pronation, they can tune the, the sole so it's specifically for you. And the original plan was like, oh, we can have these machines across America or in different markets and then we can make them or you can order it. Now, that hasn't come to pass yet, but, you know, this is that technology of getting super customized. And that's something that obviously we've seen as an explosion in the market in the past, you know, five to 10 years with so many customization pop-ups and experiences. And we're seeing, you know, people customize their own shoes and different versions of Nike ID or whatever they're calling it now. You know, like we've seen this kind of need for customization really explode in the sneaker market. So I think it's an interesting concept. It also reduces waste because you're just making one specifically rather than, you know, making a bunch and then having a bunch of waste. Like you're being very specific in how you're creating it. And it brings us back to the strong concept because it's similar in the sense that it's also made by machines and it's also made to be tuned. So instead of just having, you know, a regular knit pattern, it can be knit in multiple different ways. So you can really get a shoe that maybe if you need more support on your medial side they can give you more support there or you need something that gives you a more snug fit they can engineer it so the machines can specifically string it in a way so this is different because these machines I mean looking at it almost feels like they're like you know an octopus or a spider but they can they can make things move in a different way and make them really specifically tuned so it's interesting in the sense that we are getting to this place of hyper customized footwear And now it's not just with the outsole. Now they can do it with the upper and the midsole and knit on the same machine. So you're having less waste in the sense that you're making a shoe specifically as one one or two components, right? You're not having like 10 components and you're having to source all the different materials. It's coming from one space. So in that sense, it's more sustainable. You're also having it in a way that you can have a few workers work one machine. So maybe you're having less jobs, but maybe you're having better jobs. We have to remember that this is future craft. This isn't like go to market strategy, right? This isn't the shoe is coming out in two weeks. This is their incubator for stuff that is innovation and it's new and it's different. We might see it in their production lines in a few years. But you have to wonder also, how does it scale, right? Like, how do you make, are they going to buy a ton of machines? 
Are they going to have this in their speed factory, which are their micro factories in Atlanta um, and in other markets to produce shoes? You know, how quickly can they get so many different orders in? You know, if every runner wants a, a pair of perfectly tuned shoes and does it work as well for, you know, different lasts and different foot shapes and things like that. But it's really exciting to see where knit technology can go because the Flyknit uh, from Nike and then what we saw like PrimeNet from Adidas and other companies, it really changed the world in how sneakers are made. It also made them, in a sense, more sustainable because you're not making so many components, you're just making one. But in the same way, it's, it's kind of how is this going to be used, right? And I think it would be really cool if, if this kind of project, if because you often see it going to elite athletes, you see it going to influencers, you see it to going to people who have a lot of the means, but you don't really see it going to the people who maybe need a really great shoe to take their training to the next level. So I would love it if Adidas, you know, partnered with some of these track programs that are losing funding and that don't have the same money as a school like maybe Oregon does, you know, and obviously Oregon is Nike. But I I think it'd be really interesting to see them take the future craft concept and really bring it to people who actually need it. And obviously, this is a tech that we're probably not going to see for at least a couple of years on their main line. But I have to wonder if we're going to see this in some of their other concepts. You know, is it going to work for the Loop project in terms of making a shoe that is able to then be knit and then recycled? You know, does it only work with recycled plastic knit? Can it work with the TPU knit? So it's it's a really interesting development for Adidas. But I do think it's interesting that we're not seeing as much chatter about it. I think probably because it's not directly related to a product. You know, it's not a product that people are trying out tomorrow. It's, it's a product that we might see later. So I think it's still new enough that people are kind of waiting to see what happens. That's sort of how I feel about it to an extent. I mean, like I said, I think it's really exciting. There's some really cool knit machines, you know, that can knit a whole garment all at once. And but often, you know, they're done 3D. So I'm really curious to see how they're going to implement it in their product line and if it works as a sustainable story, too, in terms of, like I said, like what kind of materials can they put in it outside of, you know, a typical RPT yarn, if that's what they are using. I'm excited about it, but I would say I'm more intrigued to see where it takes Adidas and how we're going to see it implement in other areas because they've always emphasized this idea of tuning. So having the shoe be specific to an athlete and this era of hyper-customization, but I don't know if that's something that the general public needs more than, say, you know, a shoe that can be recycled and, and has less trash. So I think if they can find a way that maybe can combine both, that'll be the game changer, but it's really interesting to see how the concepts have moved from the outsole to now the midsole and the upper and also the actual production process. So I wonder if the next big step from Adidas is going to be a combination of all of them or it's going to be something completely different. But I guess time will tell. So the last story of the week that I want to focus on is the Louis Vuitton and NBA multi-year partnership collection. So this is something that made me so annoyed I had to go for a a night workout because I just had too many thoughts about it. (laughs) I was actually writing the newsletter on Sunday night, you know, watching the Lakers win their next championship. And then Women's Wear Daily came out with the exclusive to show the full collection. And I just had to take a break because it just annoyed me so much. Now, the collection is, as I mentioned, it's a multi-year partnership. So they're going to have a bunch of different collections. And they also made the travel case for the NBA's Larry O'Brien trophy, which actually looks really great. It's my favorite piece out of everything and in the past um, Louis Vuitton has made trophy cases uh, for like FIFA World Cup the Rugby World Cup the Roland Garros tennis tournament they had a partnership with esports 
but this is the first one they've done with a major North American sports league. So that's something that obviously is really exciting. So the NBA has started to open the door with doing more and more collaborations. So recently they worked with Supreme, Jeremy Scott, Elder Statesman, which does like cashmere sweaters, Maison Kitsune. LV one is much bigger, you know, it's multi-year. And it's something that it seems like for them felt like a perfect fit because Louis Vuitton is obviously one of the most popular brands among NBA players. You know, I have multiple Louis Vuitton sales associates numbers on call for when I need something in like different countries or different cities and different sizes. So it's definitely something that makes sense in that connection, right? However, I think it's really terribly timed. Now, you have these guys that are risking their lives in the bubble. Granted, you know, no one got COVID. They were really specific about it. But here they are, you know, in this really crazy contained atmosphere in the middle of a global pandemic where people have lost their jobs, where over 200,000 people have died in the United States. And yet they're coming out with bags that are probably... You know, if you look at, at an average cost of, of one of the the duffels like that are in this collection, they're around two grand. So I'm sure they're going to be similar. So it just seems a little bit tone deaf. So let's start with the good, right? So we'll start with the case. It was made by six craftsmen over 100 hours at the Louis Vuitton workshop in the Paris suburbs. Now, what is great about the actual case is that it is what a collaboration item should be. And that you can tell it's Louis Vuitton and it has a nod to the NBA. It's not glaring, right? So the case has a V on the front and it's white in this typical kind of like block Louis V font. And it's in blue and red. And the V is supposed to stand for victory. Obviously, it can also stand for Louis V. And the inside, when you open up, it's blue microfiber, which, you know, is polyester generally, which was velvet. But, you know, can't win them all. It looks like it is also embossed with the NBA logo inside. And obviously, the hardware is all gold. It matches the trophy. It looks simple and understated with a little bit of, you know, a hint of the NBA colors, which are, of course, red, white, and blue. But the collection itself seems a little misguided. So the first kind of keys we got from the collection were the two keep all duffel bags. They look to be about like the 50, 55 size, which is a carry-on size that can fit in the overhead compartment. There's two colorways we've seen so far. Originally, it was said that they were gonna be just for players. If you look at the images that leaked from the full collection, there's only one of the bags in that. So I'm guessing the one of the colors that isn't there, that's gonna be the player edition, but who knows? So there was these typical monogram brown print. Um, and then there's also a bag that's kind of like off-white. So the traditional brown bag has white handles and details, gold hardware, a blue crossbody strap, an embossed NBA removable ID tag, and an NBA stitch logo. There also seems to be this like weird sign panel that looks kind of plasticky and has some net uh, mesh that to look like a basketball net. How groundbreaking. And that kind of likens back to some of the bags that we've seen that Virgil Abloh, the creative director, and kind of the face of this collaboration has made in previous LV collections that were mesh and plastic and PVC. Definitely not the most sustainable materials. It's not, it's definitely loud in the sense the white is so glaringly white, the blue is so bright against the brown. So it definitely stands out in the sense of other keep balls, but I personally don't like it, but it is the least egregious <laughs> of the bags, at least to me. There's also this pale kind of like off-white monogram. So the closest combination they have right now on, in the kind of like the main Louis sphere of colors is kind of the reverse monogram eclipse. So if you look at it, it's like a black monogram on a deeper dove gray, but this is definitely more like white or off-white with, you know, dove gray LV monogram. So it has blue handles and a crossbody strap, blue embossed NBA removable, ID tag, red piping, gold hardware, and a stitch NBA logo. And they also have this same mesh panel on the side. 
And I think this is one of the reasons why I have a problem with this collection is that it is so basic and surface. It's like someone came up and was like, so you're going to do the NBA. Let's do the most obvious bullshit collection possible. Let's just only use the logo. Let's only use the colors. Let's only use basketball. Now, I don't know how much of this was a design choice from Louis' side. I don't know how much was Virgil. I don't know how much was the NBA. In my estimation, it's definitely from Virgil because his collections, and I haven't been shy saying this, but they tend to be very surface. You know, it's, I personally don't really like the Nike 10 collection because to me it always, it just felt like styling. And that's kind of what Virgil's known for. He takes something, he tweaks it, and he puts his quotes on it if it's off-white, or he puts something that's loud over it as a lay to change it, but he doesn't actually really design it. He just kind of styles it. And he's known for taking references from other people and not credited them, which I think to me is way more egregious, you know, looking at young designers and just referencing them, but not actually giving them a check or bringing them into the fold to learn. It just doesn't seem very intentional. It doesn't seem really well thought out. It just seems very surface. So if you actually look at the clothing collection, there's even, they did an all over print of a suit of the NBA logo. And it kind of, the one thing that is kind of cool, and my mom mentioned this too, is that it does look like a herringbone. So, okay, that's kind of interesting. But if you look, the patterns don't even match. If you look at where the seam of the pattern meets on the pants, they don't match up at all. I don't even want to know how much these are going to cost because they're way overpriced. If How is your, you going to have a luxury material for a luxury brand for a giant collaboration and you can't even pattern match? Like, that's bullshit. And when it comes to the shoes, they're just, they, they look like, you know, something you might see on a knockoff table. So they have these, these boots, which kind of look like the LV Creeper boot. That's one of the first things we saw released. There's more shoes from the collection too, but they really look like they took a Lugs boot and just threw some Louis Vuitton hardware on it and an NBA tag. There's nothing really that screams the NBA either other than this tag and inside there's a gold logo, but they really look like a lug that got gentrified. It's gross. In terms of the rest of the collection, it just seems lazy. For example, there's a leather jacket. You know, when I think of the NBA and I think of leather jackets, I think of Jeff Hamilton and the all over prints and, and the, with all the patches. And, you know, those were so iconic for so long. And it almost looks like maybe there is a slight nod to it. Even if you look at all over monogram print and then they have the basketball lines over the jacket, which is like the most obvious reference you could do. But the jacket isn't even patterned that way. It looks like they just painted the stripes on. Where's the originality? Where's maybe taking the pattern pieces and, and breaking them down and sewing them in a way that reflects a basketball? Where's where's the flip on it? Where's the Jeff Hamilton collaboration? It just seems very surface, very obvious. And I look at it and I almost wonder, like, did you have design meetings? Did you actually sit down and did you get feedback? Like, does no one give Virgil real feedback? Does he just have yes men around him like Kanye? Like... Is that just something he learned from Kanye? It also bothers me because there are so many great young designers that could have helped out with this, that could have collaborated, you know, taking designers from each of the NBA cities or maybe, you know, having one come from Chicago, one come from New York, one come from LA or, or whatever and having them each kind of have their own signature to it or having different ways to really, you know, bring, bring a different viewpoint because this just seems like a true phone-in situation. And it's embarrassing for Louis Vuitton. You know, it doesn't feel like an organic expression. It just feels like they just stuck a logo in a bunch of shit. They also have a chain that is the Larry O'Brien trophy, and it literally looks worse quality than some beauty shop gold hoops. It's very embarrassing. And I get maybe wanting to take different references and mix them in at a luxury house and mix them in for basketball, sure. But it just looks cheap and ill thought out. 
And I'm embarrassed for the models having to wear them. You know, like the loafers have the little signature details, but then they just have a giant NBA logo on it. Like who who wants to wear this? Like I don't understand this obsession with logo mania. Why can't you find a different way to bring in the spirit and the history and the glory? And there's so there's so many amazing fashion references that come from the NBA. You know, like I have a job because the NBA is so interesting and stylish and detailed. Like there are so many references you could take. And it just seems so cheap. And this is one of the biggest fashion houses in the world. I'm not surprised the case is right. I feel like maybe the artisans would have fought, you know, Virgil and his quotes on those. But the rest of the collection doesn't even feel like it's over-designed. just doesn't feel like it's edited. It feels like someone went on Procreate on their iPad and took an existing Louis collection and then just switched the colors and threw a logo on it. That's what it feels like. And the bags seem over-designed too. Like I get the idea of bringing in mesh or something, but throwing it on top of, you know, a trunk bag that just looks like a different version of another Virgil bag. It's just, it just seems like a cash grab. And I'm really surprised they chose to release it at this time. Like why not shelve it until, at least until there's a new stimulus bill? You know, France isn't doing perfectly either. They're doing better than the States, but why release it? Now, I get that the the Lakers won, and this is exciting, but why not just give some of these pieces to the players as a thank you? If they want to, they can sell it if they need some extra cash, you know? But why insult the NBA fan, who is probably looking at the league as a great escape right now? The games were weird, and there was virtual fans, and I was constantly worried for not just players, but the staff and that that odd situation but the NBA was a great escape for a lot of people you got some really interesting stories out of the bubble whether we like to admit it or not this just feels kind of like a one percent slap in the face especially when there are so many designers out there and even athletes that maybe could have come and given their opinion like I there are very few athletes that I can see wearing this that weren't paid to wear it if you know what I mean I I guess it's one of these situations where I'm not surprised, but I'm just disappointed. You know, everything just comes off as very tacky. Not even, I was going to say, you know, it feels like a 2006, you know, with all the white on everything and and the garish kind of color combinations. But I don't even want to insult that era. It's just a little bit, it, it just makes me sad. And I think there, there could have done so much more, whether it's pulling from the NBA or pulling from previous, you know, custom NBA collections that we saw from the likes of Jeff Hamilton or there's a great basketball heritage in Paris too. Out of all the pieces, I think I think the only ones that are obviously it's not for sale, but I think the most interesting are the case, you know, the the regular brown bag that looks to be player edition. It looks fine. There's also a dop kit that has the NBA logo on it, but again, it has that really bright gold chain, the really bright blue. It has with the logo, it just seems really excessive and really unnecessary, along with having that giant tag on all the pieces, like one of the the blue leather jacket that has a hood that has those basketball lines just like painted on. It has a giant logo on the hip. Who wants to wear that? I love the NBA, but I don't want that shit on my clothes, especially if you're spending like 10 grand for a leather jacket, you know, and they also did a, an iced out NBA chain which just seems slightly ridiculous the other piece there's you know their um low top sneaker which has the monogram print in this 
very kind of garish patent. The whole the whole collection was supposed to be designed around the life of the NBA player with, you know, going to a podium game, traveling, and the actual game. I don't really see anything in the collection that is referencing the game other than their suits. The best suit of them all is the kind of black or dark gray one that has the print because you can't really see it. But even then, the way it's styled with another cardigan with a giant logo on it, carrying that white bag that has all the red piping and the mesh panel showing a basketball. It's just, it just feels like, you know what it feels like? It feels like a joke. <laughs> yeah. So as you can tell, I wasn't super impressed with it. Again, I think the case itself is great. I think that's really interesting. But I think having a collection at this time with this kind of lack of of oversight, of originality. I hope in some ways it's a wake-up call that brands don't need to keep hiring the same designer. You know, Virgil keeps getting hired for all these jobs and keeps doing the same kind of like mailed-in, very surface collaboration. It doesn't feel authentic. And I hope that people start paying attention, don't necessarily put the money towards it, and we start seeing clothes that are more intentional because this is to me it's just junk it's really overpriced junk that we don't need and Louis Vuitton could have done a collection that has way more resonance and and way more importance or more importantly maybe chill the fuck out it's not supposed to come out officially until later this month but it seems really again super unnecessary so we'll we'll see what kind of sales it garners and if this is their solution, you know, to Dior's Jordan brand collection and their next step of Supreme, I think it is a complete misstep and a bit of a disaster. And I really hope the NBA has more people on their staff that understand that just because you have a big name that players seem to like, that doesn't mean you can give them carte blanche to make this disaster. And finally, let's get to some recommendations. So given that this past Monday was Indigenous People's Day, I think it's important to highlight some great Indigenous content. So one of my favorite Native American authors is Thomas King. And my specific favorite book of his, I actually read when I was in high school. And it was kind of like an entry point to more of his work. It's pretty interesting that the class was called Postcolonial Literature because colonialism is still everywhere but basically it was a class where they had all these books that weren't just written by white guys and the odd white woman like sylvia plath but it was one of the most important classes i did take in high school really had gave me uh, an appreciation for different stories and different perspectives we read she devil we read the color purple and we also read uh some of the work by indigenous authors like thomas king so green grass running water is really interesting because it has different perspectives and different characters that kind of intersect and it underscores the importance of land and land policies and obviously the stolen land from Native Americans here in, in Canada but also Indigenous people around the world. So it's a really interesting book. Later it was partially adapted into a CBC series called Dead Dog Cafe but it was something that really opened my eyes not just to how you can talk about native lore and legend in a way that's contemporary but also how you can have different narrators and different plots really interesting to see the context obviously a bunch of his other work are really great too uh, but i'd really recommend 
picking up this book from him first and then maybe diving in more. Another recommendation I have also comes from Canada. There's a theme here. So BBC's Uncovered is a podcast series. They have different seasons. And one that I think everyone should listen to is Finding Cleo. Now, it's really heartbreaking, but I think it's important to listen to all these different experiences and narratives from different indigenous communities, you know, across North America, across the world. And the story of finding their sister who left and about residential schools in Canada, which are really the greatest shame or one of the greatest shames of Canada's history. It gives you a real perspective about what happens to Native Americans on the reserves and how they're treated and how apparent generational trauma is and how many kids just want to go home. You know, they just want to be with their families. So it's not an easy lesson, but I think it's an important lesson. And the CBC Uncovered team does a really great job. And I think it's important in terms of healing and understanding to make sure we're hearing all different stories and all different perspectives. And so we don't make those same mistakes again. And so we understand each other better. So I'd really recommend that podcast. Like I said, it's not necessarily an easy listen, but it is so beautifully produced and so important and it really brings you in. I think it's important to have that context, especially when Indigenous issues are often pushed to the side, especially with some missing and murdered Indigenous women and people in North America and the treatment that still goes on and still the same horrible perspective that some people have about indigenous people and indigenous communities and their history. So I think it's really important to remember that and also learn and that will help give you maybe extra motivation to really do what you can to help make sure these mistakes not only aren't made again, but how we can help heal the a generational trauma. So I know that's heavy, <laughs> but I think it, it's important. It's part of everyone's history here in North America. The more we can take time to listen and understand each other, the better off we'll be. And something that I'm really grateful for in the pandemic is that amongst all the craziness, you know, I've been with my family for almost seven months and I've never had this time. The most I've ever spent here, you know, would be between first and second year of college. And then after that, I stayed in, I stayed in Toronto. So I've never had this much time since high school with my family. So I've learned so much about our history, but it's also given me time to really reflect on what's important and, and what we can change and having two parents that are very mindful of, you know, how to be better people it has definitely emboldened me to keep trying to push things forward and, and also make sure that that my work whenever possible is environmentally sound, isn't taking advantage of people, you know, so it, it really motivates me to then look at stuff like the Milo project that's going on and to look at how Adidas is making manufacturing better because that's a way that, you know, my work in fashion and footwear can make things better. So I hope you enjoyed this week. We'll be back soon with more interviews. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it. We're on, if you're not already listening to us there, we're on Apple and Google and Stitcher and Spotify and everywhere. Uh, but if you have problems finding a link, you can usually find them at the Anchor page. So that's anchor.fm slash shegotgamepod. You can also find the links directly on my website, which is meganannwilson.com. The newsletter, which I publish as a companion to the podcast, as well as some extra 
little pieces you can find at shegotgame.substack.com and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under shegotgame. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe and stay true.